0: Welcome to Banking Weekly from the Financial Times with me, Patrick Jenkins. Joining me in the studio today are Caroline Binham, our financial regulation correspondent, David Crow, our banking editor, and joining us from New York, Laura Noonan, our US banking editor. Our guest this week is Erkin Nosinoff, who is a director at BCS Consulting. This week, we'll be taking a look at the latest events in the Barclays trial. Banks, what are they doing to prepare for climate change? And European lenders finally get a break from US regulators. First, though, to the Barclays trial, or I should say, the Barclays retrial. Caroline, you spent several months attending the initial trial connected to fundraisings back in 2008 when Qatar was among the anchor investors and there were alleged irregularities with the way those fundraisings were conducted. That trial was suspended, and now we have a retrial. Tell us exactly what's going on and what's particularly of interest in the last day or so.
2: Yeah, so it was earlier this year, the original trial, in which the former chief executive, John Varley, was acquitted. His three co-defendants, Roger Jenkins, Tom Kolaris and Richard Both, face a retrial that's going on at London's Old Bailey. The prosecution has opened its case and we've heard how essentially their case is that the three lied to the market over these side deals, the SFO say, in which Barclays paid Qatar investors £322 million in outsized fees in exchange for their participation in these cash calls that ultimately kept the bank afloat. What we've heard this week are some of the fraught negotiations within Barclays as the bank's future really was teetering. You'll remember that September 2008 which was just before the second fundraising Lehman Brothers collapsed and pretty much the whole of the financial sector was looking to see what came next. Markets really were roiling. A lot of Barclays rivals were being bailed out at the time. So The trial really lifts the lid on that desperation. Unusually, we've been able to get permission to play audio tapes of telephone calls between the defendants that the jury has also heard and we can play those for you now. We're hearing Tom Kolaris, he's the first speaker with the American accent, speak to Richard Both. And this was just at the first fundraising the bank took in June. Tom Kolaris was the head of wealth management at the time, and Richard Both was the head of European Financial Services.
1: It's possible that we could turn this into our advantage because actually it wouldn't be a bad thing to to, uh, you know, reinforce the strategic, you know, publicly maybe even enforce the strategic commitment, right? But, but that's a, I, I think that may, that, that's a decision we should, we can make in a couple of days' time. But Harding is aware of the subject and is, I told him, I told him I expected him to review all these documents with, his, with his, regards to this issue. Not, you know, I said, love Judith, but I, this, I don't want to go to jail. So Mark, you've got to, you've got to make sure you're comfortable. The worst case scenario: somebody says, "Well, this is done economic," and I say, "Bullshit." You know, you know, we're paying this amount of money for this relationship with these guys. We're delighted to do it.
3: Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm I mean, the, obviously, the the, the the jeopardy is is that it's it's it. You know, we're rumbled, and people say, "Well, that was bullshit." You know, that this is just a, a fee in the back door.
1: This is one of these things where you know, if you go down, the whole place goes down with you, right? So,
3: that's correct. We're all, we're all we're all going for the the ship the ship we all for the ship food the ship food in the back there. <laughs> right.
1: I, I, I don't really want. But, I, that's not what I want. Yeah, nor nor do I. So so stay. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's important that you. It's by the way, don't think I think you're wimping uh, um, out on this stuff. It's actually important that you're ner- that you're nervous about all aspects of it. So. If you're not we' probably're not going to be so that's well' good.
3: no, fine i'm I'm going to continue to you know that's i'm i'm going to continue to spot try and spot at least the jeopardy and and that, and that yeah. strikes strikes me that in the in the context of all of this this is the one of the most da- dangerous aspects of this whole yeah. Yeah. transaction
0: so Caroline, that's a fascinating insight into the conversations that were going on at the top of Barclays at the time, and the prosecution is alleging that this conversation and other similar communications prove that these senior managers were aware that they were on the edge of the law, if you like, in terms of the Qatari fundraising and the terms of it?
2: Yeah, so the Serious Fraud Office say that these conversations were evidence that the defendants knew what they were doing amounted to a criminal offence, false statements essentially, and they knew that they couldn't pay the Qatari's extra fees that weren't going to be disclosed to the other investors. It should be said that the defendants are going to start presenting their opening statements to the jury at the end of this week. So, they obviously have a chance to rebut the SFO's allegations
0: And it should be said that this trial is likely to take quite a long time as well
2: Yeah, it's slated for five months and obviously the defendants have all pleaded not guilty and deny the charges
0: Well we'll keep a close eye Thank you for that Caroline Let's move on now to our second topic and a look at how well the world's largest banks are doing in terms of adapting to climate change and complying with at least some initiatives to mitigate their contribution to climate damage. David, you wrote an interesting story on an assessment of how the banks are complying with new standards,
3: particularly
0: something called
3: the TCFD. What is it exactly? It's the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures that is a sort of initiative launched by the FSB, the Financial Stability Board, backed by Mark Carney, former chair of the FSB and the Bank of England governor and Mike Bloomberg as well. Um, And it is basically a framework for trying to get all corporations to quantify their exposure to climate change and then to report that to investors because the buy side have started to demand answers on these sorts of risks applies to all corporations, but banks have a special place, if you like, in this because they finance a lot of the greenhouse gas emitting projects and so on. And if one were able to get the banks to start disclosing this stuff and changing their business practices, then that should have a knock on effect on corporations more generally. So, you know, let's make this clear. First step is supporting and then what follows is disclosures on the risk of climate change to their business models and the business models of their clients. But this is the step one. This is just supporting and signing on. You wrote up an interesting report on how the big banks are doing. What are the key takeaways from that? Well, I suppose when you look down the list of the banks that have not even signed up to the TCFD. When you look at the list of those banks, it's dominated by China, where this initiative has had very little impact. But there are also some names on there that surprised me, the likes of Unicredit, Commerce Bank, and so on, Wells Fargo. In part because one receives lots of press releases from these banks touting their sort of green credentials, and yet they haven't even taken the very first step when it comes to this initiative.
0: Now, the report on the compliance with these standards was written by BCS Consulting. And we're joined now by uh, director at BCS Consulting, Erkin Nozinov. Erkin, thanks so much for coming in. What is your impression of how well banks are doing in terms of coming into line on this?
4: I guess the summary is that there is a lot still to be done. Of the 76 banks that have declared intent to comply with it, only 39 are actually disclosing. And those that are disclosing are doing that with a very varied level of maturity on different aspects of disclosures. So we had a very good look at those disclosures across the population. And just I'll note that we haven't looked at asset managers and insurance who have slightly different challenges. But based on our analysis, the most advanced area of disclosure is own operational carbon footprint. It is reasonably well established, and there are recognized methodologies and service providers. While it is important, it's usually the smaller area of the financial services firm's climate impact. The financing and other services banks provide is arguably the most important, but it is the least advanced area. I should say that we only looked at public disclosures, and it is possible that firms do more internally than they decide to disclose. But in our experience, there is a strong correlation between the two.
0: In terms of the banks that have signed up, obviously, they are the biggest or some of the biggest. And between them, I think they account for close to half of the
4: global banking assets. Is that right? Of those that have signed up, they cover about 40% of the global banking assets. And those that are disclosing is about 24%.
0: Right. So there's clearly quite some way to go. Just clarify for us how this compares as well with some of the other disclosure standards there are out there. I'm thinking particularly of the UN Sustainable Development Goals.
4: Well, so TCFG is focused on climate change. And I think in the era of climate change, this is becoming the de facto standard. There are a lot more various competing frameworks in the broader area of ESG, so Environmental, Social and Governance Framework. But in the climate area, I think TCFG is really becoming the emerging framework. And it explicitly then links in certain areas to certain other disclosure frameworks that are focused on specific areas.
0: Okay, I suppose just a final question on probably the most difficult question you mentioned that about a quarter, basically, of the world's banking assets are represented through the disclosures so far. How do you get the other three quarters signed up? How do the laggards get persuaded that this is the way forward?
4: Well, there's probably three-pronged approach. In the first instance, I guess banks themselves need to own up to their role in the industry and also selfishly to realise that the risks and opportunities are real and they're really happening now yes a lot of the impact physically will happen in the next decades but markets have a tendency to present value the impact and a lot of the assets they are writing today will have 20 30 year lifespan so those things will already be impacted and then governments and regulators have a role to play to work with the industry to develop an appropriate way to implement incentives and if you wish the penalties for supporting climate action And last but not least, I think the buy side, the asset managers, have a role to play. Although in their case, I think they have more direct influence on the actual sort of end polluters, if you wish, but they can exercise their role in the resident banks as well.
0: Absolutely. So it's all about enlightened self-interest, essentially, uh, in three different ways. Well, let's hope it makes further progress. Erkin Nosunov from BCS Consulting, thank you so much for joining us.
4: Thank you for having us.
0: Let's move on now to the third and final topic of today's podcast. And we go over to the US where we're joined by Laura Noonan, our US banking editor. And US regulators have finally given the European banks a bit of a break, Laura. What exactly has happened?
5: So last week, the Fed came out with the long-awaited fine-tuning of the rules for bank holding companies. Now, banks have been looking at these for the last year or so. The good news for the banks was the Fed did drop one proposal, a very senior European banker said was a disastrous proposal. This proposal was about European banks' branches in the US. European banks and most foreign banks do most of their US activities through subsidiaries. And as regular listeners will know, these subsidiaries are subject to a lot of rules in the US. But they also have some branches. And what the Fed had talked about doing was having liquidity Requirements for the branches as well as for the subsidiaries. And the Fed ultimately decided against this. So there was a lot of relief around that.
0: So did the European banks get anything else that they wanted in these regulatory revisions?
5: The European banks didn't get a whole lot else. This is very much a partial win for them and bankers are kind of disappointed. But generally not too surprised by the fact that having spent several months engaging with the Fed and giving them feedback, most of it didn't really sway the Fed's proposals either way. So one of the big issues that the European and a lot of foreign banks were quite excited about is how the size of foreign banks should be measured. So how it works is banks are grouped into certain sizes and then the level of regulation depends on what bucket you're in. So the Fed had said they were going for a risk-based approach. But they also proposed to include all of the total assets, both banking and non-banking assets. This means that the broker-dealer assets come into the picture as well. The banks argued this was unfair because if you have broker-dealer assets, if you were to hold 30 billion of T-bills on your balance sheet through your broker-dealer, that wouldn't increase your risk. And they argue that broker-dealer assets don't increase risk and therefore shouldn't be included. The Fed ultimately decided that they were going to include these broker-dealer assets anyway in all of the non-bank assets. So banks are pretty unhappy about that aspect.
0: And of all the banks that are affected by this regulatory leniency, which are the biggest beneficiaries?
5: It's hard to know without knowing the intricacies of how banks run their branches, but looking at it from the outside, we can see which banks have the biggest branches by total assets in the US, and I think it's fair to assume those banks would be the most helped by this. So those banks would be Deutsche Bank has the biggest branch. Then there are three large Japanese banks that also have sizable branches. And then Sock Gen, also Credit Suisse, just below them. The one thing is it's not over forever. So what's going to happen is the reason the Fed didn't proceed with this is that they decided that there's actually something going on at a global level anyway through the Basel Committee. So what they're going to do is let the global regulator settle it. So what it does mean is that there will likely be some kind of liquidity requirements coming for branches. However, banks are more comforted by this because it will be a single global rule everywhere. What banks are most concerned about in this and lots of other aspects of regulation is a chance of having an uneven playing pitch. So even in the event that there is gonna be rules around liquidity for branches, they would prefer them to be global rules. And that looks like what they're gonna get here.
0: Well, thanks very much for that, Laura. That's all for this week. Thank you to Caroline, David and Laura, and also to Erkin Nozinov, a director at BCS Consulting. And also thank you for listening. Remember, you can keep up to date with all of the latest banking stories at ft.com slash banking. Just a word to say, we've also launched a new podcast this month called The Rackman Review, a weekly look at global affairs by the FT's chief foreign affairs commentator, Gideon Rackman. The show will take in some of the interviews with decision makers and analysts he meets in his travels around the world and will also draw on the FT's great network of foreign correspondents. This show is exclusively for FT subscribers, so if that's you, please go to ft.com slash and sign up for a taste of the global political debates that Gideon writes about in his columns. Banking Weekly was produced by Fiona Simon and we'll be back next week. Until then, goodbye.